You ready to get into God's Word today? Do you believe it's His Word that we build our lives upon? His Word is what makes a difference. His world is what is going to help us overcome the world. Can you say amen? Last week we started this new series, and when we use this, this word or term, the world, in this series, remember what we're talking about. We're not talking about the planet that we live on. We're not talking about the people that inhabit this planet, but we're talking about the cosmos, the world system. The world system is one that attempts to do life without God. The world's telling us, hey, we can govern ourselves without God. We can raise our kids and educate our kids with, without God. We can handle our money and our sexuality without God. God, we, we, we don't really need you for these things. That's what the world tells us. It's, it's this kind of, John Eldridge calls it this cumulative kind of this wave of culture that's kind of taking us in the direction that it wants us to go. And, and usually that ends up in some place called destruction. Can you say amen? <laughs> And so we've got to be very, very careful. The Bible teaches us about three enemies. It teaches us about the flesh, and I think most of us understand what the flesh is. It teaches us about the devil, and I think we, you know, we don't always see him, but we kind of know what evil he tries to do uh, in our lives. But then this third enemy is the world. And the world is kind of this, this unseen force in our lives that often we, we just don't see. And not only is it an attempt to do life without God, but it's actually a demonically inspired system. It's a demonically inspired system. Um, and as weird as it sounds, you know what, I know we're going to get serious. It's going to be heavy. We're going to look at the words of Jesus today. But since we got the kids out of the room, can, can we get the hard stuff out of the way first? Let's get the hard stuff out of the way first. Uh, when I talk about the world, it actually reminds me of a cartoon that I grew up with. How many grew up looking forward to Saturday morning cartoons? Come on, let's look, look at all of us old people. Okay, young people, you don't understand. You don't understand. You live in a world where you can bring up cartoons anytime you want. But when we were kids, you, we didn't have cartoons all the time. We had them Saturday mornings. What were some of your favorite, favorite cartoons? Come on. The Flintstones. What did you say? Tom and Jerry. I mean, Cat and Mouse, what a great cartoon. Somebody else? <laughs> Foghorn Leghorn. How many remember Foghorn Leghorn? All right, what, what are, some more obscure, I mean, Bugs Bunny, uh, Elmer Fudd, we know all those, but some obscure, anyone remember kind of, kind of some obscure? Jabber, what did you say? Jabber Jaws, he was a shark, right? I love that guy, I love it. All right, we got some pictures of some cartoons up here. Let me see, He-Man, Masters of the Universe. How many of you remember him? All right, who else we got? Hong Kong Fooey. Uh, <laughs> I can't even see. Does anyone remember? Is this Inch High Private Eye? You guys don't know him? I, lo I love this guy. And who else? Super Friends, of course. We all remember Super Friends. And this was my favorite. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Come on, how many, how many turtle fans we got in the house? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I mean, leave them up there if you can for just a minute. How, how much cooler can you get? Number one, especially when you're a kid, they're teenagers. So it's like, you know, they're not too far from us. That's cool. They're teenagers. 
Number two, they're mutant. I didn't even know what that meant as a kid, and I'm still, I, I don't really know now. But that's just cool. They're, they're mutants, okay? Teenage mutant ninja. They're ninja turtles. Like, have you ever looked at a real turtle and thought, wow, that turtle's a ninja? <laughs> no, right? It's the, the, the least likely animal to ever be a ninja would be a turtle. And so that makes them cool. So Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But then probably the best part about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is the endless supply of pizza they always had going. Come on, right? I mean, they just loved pizza. They're always eating pizza. Now, one of the things I remember about these guys is, you know, headquarters was kind of underground. It's kind of underground. And in underground, they had this mentor, this teacher who taught them everything that, that he knew. What was his name? Splinter, right? And, and so Splinter was, was this rat. <laughs> That's cool, too. <laughs> this rat who lived underground in the headquarters, and, and he's kind of calling the shots down there. Now, these guys were fighting for justice. They were fighting crime. I said it, I said it reminds me of the world. But if we were to say they were, if, if they became a force for evil, if, if, if Splinter was, was not trying to work for good, if the turtles weren't using their Teenage Mutant Ninja skills to fight the bad guys, if they were a force for evil, to me, when I read everything that Jesus talks about the world system, that's, his, that's what I would think about. Satan would be a rat in a sewer. And he'd be down there in this underground world, and he would be calling the shots. And here we are, living above ground, often not even seeing the plans and the schemes and the influence that he has against our lives. And so that's why we're doing this series is we believe that many of us, many of us in this room, we're, we're actually being discipled by a world system that we can't even see. And so what we want to do this week is we want to just basically go through the book of John where more than anyone, Jesus teaches about the world system. So as we go through the scripture today, we're going to go John 14, John 15, John 16. But remember, man, Bible translators are the ones who put chapters and verses in, okay? This, in its, in its original state, is, is Jesus just kind of one contiguous discourse here where he's talking about uh, some things that happen in the world system. So if you're ready, say I'm ready. Let's go here. Three chapters. We're going to go John 14. Jesus does more teaching on the world than any other teacher in the Bible. John 14 and verse 16, he says this, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Who is this, Jesus? Who is this helper that, that you're praying for? Verse 17, the spirit of truth. Everyone say truth. Whom the world, here's this word whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you. And then here's the biggie, and will be in you. He not only dwells among us, but the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, 
actually lives on the inside of us. So Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure, but he says, hey, hey guys, hey, don't worry. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit who is the spirit of truth. But he says, however, he says, I know you're going to be excited about the Holy Spirit, but not everyone else is going to be excited about the spirit of truth. Why? Because the world can't see him. The world can't know him, and the world cannot receive him. Jesus says, the spirit of truth is coming, but the world system says, there is no truth. Isn't that what our world says today? There is no truth. There are no absolutes. Everything is relative. Everything is subjective. What, what might be right for me is, is not right for you. So we can see right away when, when Jesus says there is a Holy Spirit coming and he's the spirit of truth, but the world is not going to like him. We, we can, we can auto, already start to see some dissension here, some lines being drawn between the church and the world. Let's go to John 15 and see what he says. Look at John 15 and verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. For if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Last week I said the church has to be comfortable with, with not being popular. We've got to get comfortable with, with being unpopular. Well, Jesus takes it a step further this week and says, hey, not only will you be unpopular, but at times you will actually be hated. Thanks, Jesus. That's real encouraging. It's not, it's not encouraging. But, but the idea that he's trying to help us understand is that the reason that at times we might be hated is because we're chosen. The reason that we might be hated is because we're chosen. The word church literally means the called out one. Somebody say, I'm called out. Come on, say it again. Say, I'm called out. I'm, uh, we're, we're not called to fit in. We've, we've been called out. This is why I struggle with, with, with sometimes folks in the church who attempt to make the church look just like the world. That's not our calling. Now, I, I'm all for keeping up with the times and being relevant to culture and not walking into a church and feel like you just walked back in time 150 years. I'm, I'm all for that, and I understand that, and I understand we need to speak language that people can understand in this day and age. But, friends, our highest goal is not to gather together and make the church look like the world. We are called out of the world, and that's the reason that sometimes we're not going to be popular. We might even be hated, but we've got to be okay with that this gathering must be distinct it must be different it cannot sound smell or feel like any other experience you can get in the world 
that is not a sign of success. That's actually a sign of failure. When people walk into the house of God, which is, that's what a gathering of believers is, whether it's in this building or our building or outside, it doesn't matter. When we gather together, we become the house of God. And when an unbeliever walks into that setting, they must feel something different than they feel any other place on the planet. That's the purpose of the church. We're, we're, we're not here mimicking the biggest nightclub in town. Do you understand? That's not our purpose. We're not here trying to create a place that is the most comfortable place in town. We're, 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 we just want people to feel comfortable. No, we don't. We want them to feel God. And, and sometimes he comforts you with his grace and his love. And sometimes he convicts you with his presence. But we just want to set the atmosphere where God can be God. And the gathering of the saints is holy and it's sacred and it's special. And it's not like the world because we've been called out of this world. We're not called to fit into it. It needs to keep this, this sacredness of, of, of a Christian gathering. So Jesus keeps on teaching here. He says, the world hated me, and at times it's going to hate you. Now let's go to John 16. Remember, it's, it's, it's all one conversation. It's all one sermon. It's all one teaching. But he, little by little, he, he shows us why there's this dissension between the church and the world. Look at John 16 and verse 7. He says, nevertheless, I tell you what? The truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now look at verse 8, and some things will start to click here. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. All right, some things start to make sense here. Jesus is preparing us for three chapters, and he's saying, hey, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit after I leave, and you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and it's going to be awesome for you, but the world is not, is not necessarily going to receive him. The world is not necessarily going to like it. So verse 8 is kind, of, is kind of our big clue here. Why, Jesus? Why is the world going to be so upset about us having the Holy Spirit. Well, verse 8, look at it again. And when He, the Holy Spirit, has come, He, the Holy Spirit, will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Here's what we have to understand. The Holy Spirit is a person with a presence. And that person with a presence comes to live on the inside of us, which means we become a carrier of His presence. We become a carrier of his presence. And as we are carrying his presence, our presence then becomes a convicting power in this world. Listen, it's not that we're all that special, but his presence within us brings conviction on a world who does not see him, does not know him, and cannot receive him. Does that make any sense to anyone? Let me break it down this way, because only three of us, it makes sense. <laughs> Have you ever, this even happens to us as believers, have you ever been um, maybe not living the way you should be living? You've been disobedient to what God has asked you to do. Maybe you've been entertaining, messing around with some sin, just making some unrighteous choices. And, and say you go to Walmart and you see a lady from church, we'll call her Sister Holy Holly. 
okay? And, and here's the deal with Holy Holly. You, you, you know this woman. You know that she's prayed up. You know that she's got a great relationship with the Holy Spirit. She knows God. She's got a, this personal, you know, intimate relationship. And like when Holy Holly looks in your eyes, it's like she can see down deep on the inside of your soul. Anybody have a Holy Holly in their life? You don't. You need that person. You really, really need that person. How many have that person and appreciate that person? It's just a person. Come on, it might be your mama. It might be your grandma. It might be your dad. It might be your uncle. It might be a brother or sister in the Lord. But it's somebody that you, you just cannot lie to. I know we're, we're wearing masks in here, but this is somebody who can see through your mask. And if you're being honest, when you're not living right, you don't want to have any contact with that person. You don't want to see Holy Holly at Walmart. You will hide yourself in the women's underwear rack trying to masquerade. So she just walks by you you because you don't want to see her because you know holy holly will look deep into your soul why what makes holy holly different than anyone else that you see in walmart the holy spirit in her convicts you come on anyone ever had that The Holy Spirit in that brother or that sister convicts you. And and if, if your heart's right toward God, you allow that conviction to draw you closer to him. But if your heart's not right, that conviction will actually repel you from holy holly. That's the world that we're living in. Because we are carriers of the Holy Spirit, sometimes the world feels his presence through us and is convicted and 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 even though we're so excited over here that we've got the presence of god the world is saying "Mm, don't think so that's not attractive to me in fact i don't like you at all (laughs) i know know this is it's not a feel-good message and i would love to preach some feel-good messages but but jesus said i tell you the what truth truth sometimes when you feel is, is anyone else but me feel <laughs> like this world like a tidal wave just trying to take us in the direction that it wants us to go and here we are standing against this big wave and we've got to make up our minds we got to make a decision we're either going to square up our shoulders and and we're going to plant our feet firmly in the word of God on the rock of his presence and we say you're not taking me and you're not taking my family you're not taking our church you're not taking my marriage you're not taking my kids or we're just going to let the current take us wherever it wants to go it's real this pressure so Jesus said this Holy Spirit who lives in you is going to convict the world of sin look at verse 10 of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more verse 11 of judgment because the ruler of this world everyone say ruler of this world the ruler of this world is judged remember when I said Satan was like the rat in the sewer This verse is why I said it. Jesus calls him the ruler of this world. Not only does he call him the ruler of this world here, he also calls him that in John 12 and verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. John 14 and verse 30. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. 
So today what I want to do is I want to take the first half of this message. You made it through. Congratulations. <laughs> but I want to lay the foundation of why there is such contention between the church and the world system. It's because the Holy Spirit has come from heaven. He makes his home in us and his presence within us is convicting to a world that rejects him. That's the truth, and, and that's part of the cost of following Jesus. And it's kind of, you know, sometimes as us preachers, man, when we're trying to get somebody to make a commitment to Christ, we only tell them the good parts. Like, we don't give them the fine print, right? Like, we just, hey, well, let us sign you up for the Gold Club membership today. Jesus will come, and he'll fix your family. He'll fix your, your marriage. He'll help you with this. He'll prosper your business. He'll do all this stuff. We often kind of sell Jesus like he's a product. Friends, he ain't no product. He's a person. And when his presence comes, sometimes it brings persecution with it. That is part of the gospel of Christ. And we've got to be willing and we've got to be careful preachers. We've got to be careful Christians who witness that we don't try to sell Jesus like he is just plexus. Like he's just a product you add to your life. He's not. He's a person. And although salvation is a free gift, when you embrace the person of Jesus, sometimes you will be persecuted for it. But let me tell you, he is always worth it. He's always worth it. All right, for the second half of the message here, I want to look at how Satan tries to use the world system against us. And, and we're going to go with Matthew chapter 4, a story here that in, involves Jesus and Satan going head to head. Matthew 4 and verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. I always love that. I just love that the Bible adds that afterward he was hungry. How many people think he got hungry on day two? <laughs> How many of us would have been hungry on hour four? Come on, somebody. He goes 40 days and 40 nights with no food. No food. And afterward, he was hungry. Verse 3, now when the tempter, Satan, came. Satan knows when to come. He, Satan knows opportune times. He knows when to come after us in our lives. And he, he knew when to come after Jesus. Jesus is weak physically, but, but Satan doesn't know how strong he is spiritually. And so it says, now when the tempter Satan had come to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. I want you to see the first thing that Satan attacks is, is the identity of Jesus, of who he is in his father. He says, if, everyone say if. If you are the Son of God, he wants Jesus to question his own relationship with Father God. Verse 4, but he, Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So I want you to see this. As soon as Satan questions his identity, Jesus goes where? To the Word of God. It is written. Jesus did not go to Google. Jesus didn't go to the world for advice. He didn't go to Oprah and say, who am I? He goes to the scripture and says, it is written. If we are going to overcome the world, we have to know, we have to study, we have to memorize the word of God. All right, I'm going to preach at you for just a couple of moments, but I'm telling you, there are no more excuses for not knowing our Bibles. <laughs> 
Technology has removed all excuses from not knowing our Bibles. Do you realize that in generations previous to us, they would have loved to have access to the Bible the way you and I have it right now? Do you know that some of the, 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 the brothers and sisters who went before us in the faith actually died because they were trying to get the Word of God into the hands of common people just like you and I? Do you realize they were executed? They were fed to lions. They were burned at the stake just because they were trying to get the Word of God into the hands of the people. And now, you know, thousands of years later, here you and I are living in this world that we can get it anywhere, anytime we want. It's on our phone. Your phone will even read the Bible to you. There are no more excuses. Every man, every woman, every child ought to be ingesting the Word of God every day. Y'all are so quiet today. I love you. I love you. You're quiet. But I'm serious. People say, well, I'm not a good reader. You don't have to be. You don't read it, do you? People say, I can't remember things. You liar. You can remember every football stat from 1973 to now. And you say you can't memorize a scripture a month. You are lying to yourself. Stop lying in church. Somebody say amen. Verse 5, then the devil took him up on a ho- or into the holy city, which is Jerusalem set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Hold on a second, hold on a second. Satan uses the same, the same uh, tactic against him. If you are the son of God, he's trying to confuse Jesus' identity. But now Satan actually quotes Scripture. Preacher, are you telling me Satan knows the Bible? Yes. Yes, he does. Remember, he, he lived in heaven with God. He, he, he knows the word of God. And this is actually one of his biggest tactics against us is to take the word and to twist it, to take it out of context, to try to get us to be confused or, or compromised in, in what we believe. Uh, listen, we, we just can't know the Bible like a set of facts. We, we need to know the God who wrote it. If we just take the Bible and we kind of hold it up as a law book, we can become mean and bitter Christians. When we're actually trying to love this hurting and confused world, if we just hold the Bible up and and we just yell in people's faces, you know, this is truth and you got to live according to this and blah, 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 blah. And we try to separate the word of God from the heart of God, we'll actually misrepresent him to the people on this earth. And so it's important for us, yes, to study and memorize and learn and quote scripture, but we do it with the Holy Spirit. He is our partner. He's the one who helps us understand not just the written word of God, but the heart of God. And Jesus, remember it says he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. He's got this relationship with the Spirit. So when Satan comes and he takes Scripture out of context and he, he, you know, he quotes it and, and tries to get Jesus to sin, Jesus said to him in verse 7, It is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Same attack. Satan tries to get Jesus to believe something about himself other than truth, but Jesus responds with truth. Verse 8, again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, 
and showed him, now this is key, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Here's the deal, church. The world is attractive. The world has some stuff in it that looks really good to our flesh. You see, Satan does not show us the destruction. He, 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 he doesn't show us the end. <laughs> he shows us the shiny part, the new part, the part that, that smells good and looks good and tastes good. There are pleasures in this world, but the Bible says they're for a season. And when we begin to entertain the things of the world and taste them and touch them and smell them and we become a friend of the world and maybe even fall in love with the world, for a while we will enjoy its pleasures until it turns on us. And so Satan takes Jesus up to this exceedingly high mountain and he shows him the, the kingdoms of the world and, and the scripture says, and their glory. And their glory. That's why the world is so deceptive. That's why it's so alluring. Because it does look good at first glance. But verse 9, look at this. And he said to him, Satan said to Jesus, And all these things I will give you if you will fall down. Interesting. He wants him to bow down and worship me. So twice now, Satan has said to Jesus, Listen, Jesus, don't find your identity in your relationship with the Father. Don't do that. And now the third time, he shows him the world system. And in essence, he's saying, Jesus, don't find your identity with the Father. Find your identity in this, in the world system. Now, Jesus doesn't argue with the fact that, that Satan could give him these things. Why? Because we've already learned he called him the ruler of this world. Satan does have power. He does have power. He does have this, this limited, if you will, authority here on this earth where, where, where he's running the world system. And Satan says to Jesus, I don't want you to find your worth and value in God. Instead, I want you to find it in the world. And then Jesus, though in verse 10, he's wise enough. He said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall serve or worship the Lord your God and him only will you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Jesus was wise enough not to take the bait, but I'm afraid that we often take the bait. Hook, line, and sinker. That often Satan shows us something shiny, something that looks good, and, and we make really, really poor decisions because, because the world looks so attractive. Often we lose our way by trying to find ourselves in the world system. Have you noticed how much of the turmoil in our world has been caused by trying to find our identity in everything else besides God? Just, just look at our nation right now, and you can plainly see that many of our problems, maybe even most of our problems, come. They stem from misplaced identity. Come on, all you got to do is turn on the news, pull up social media, and you'll, you'll see we, we live in a world that we're trying to find our identity in our sexuality. That's the way people identify. Well, I'm this or I'm that. They will march in the street to try to get you to recognize and infer, uh, affirm that they are this or they are that. 
We, we, we live in a world where we're trying to find our identity in our skin color. We live in a world that we're trying to find our identity in our politics. I'm a this, I'm a that. I'm a, we, we live in a world where we're trying to find our identity in our nationality. We're, we're on Ancestry.com. We want to know where we came from and who our great, 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 grandfather was because we think if we could discover our lineage somehow, that will make us worthy somehow. That will make us valuable. But friends, I want to tell you this morning that the, the reason that every person on the planet has worth, the the reason that every life matters is because we are all made in the image and likeness of God. The reason that every person should be treated with honor and dignity and respect is because we are image bearers of God himself. The world has us fighting in the streets for our rights and for our causes and wants our voices to be heard, but we're at the wrong starting place. We should not be starting with gender or race or nationhood. We should be starting with our Creator. Parents, please, please, please don't teach your kids to find their identity in anything other than what God says about them. Don't, don't teach, don't teach you, don't say, well, you know, our daughter Mariah, she's our youngest, she's, she's 10. I, I don't ever want to fall into the trap that, that, I, that I introduce her is, oh, oh, here's our daughter Mariah, uh, she's our dancer. Here's our daughter Victoria, she's our, she's our softball player. Here, here's our son David, he's, a, he's our cop. Here, here's our son, what, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want our kids to find their worth and their value in something that they do. I want them to find their worth, their value, their honor, their dignity, their respect because of the God they belong to. He is the only thing that matters about their lives. Parents, teach your kids from a young age. Baby girl, you're created by a loving heavenly father. Son, God designed you on purpose with a purpose. Daughter, you will never be more loved by God than you are right now. Baby, I don't care what you accomplish. I don't care how many likes you get. I don't care how successful you become. I don't care if the world knows your name. You will never be loved more than you are right now. Now, young man, your life matters not because of your family tree, but it matters because God breathed life in you. The world is at the wrong starting point. Listen, I don't want my kids to think they have value because they are the kids of Dave and Patty Marsh. I want them to find their worth in the truth that they are children of Almighty God. And if they get grounded in that, the world can't shake them. If they stand in that love the world cannot take them our lives are so fragile right now so fragile do you, you realize how fragile we are as a culture and a society and the reason we're so fragile is because we have built much of them on a system that's crumbling we have built so much of our lives on the lie of a rat in a sewer system. But God is calling us back to the only sure foundation, and that is Him. Too many in the church have allowed ourselves to be discipled by this world system. 
Instead of going to the Word of God to know what we think about a matter, we've gone to the world that does not know truth. And we've asked them for advice. But Romans 12 and verse 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's the renewing of our mind? It's taking the Word of God and washing our minds with the Word of God that you may prove what the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God is. Friends, we're we're not called to go with the flow. As daunting as it is, as as we stand in the face of this tidal wave of culture that wants to take it, take us with it, we're, we're to actually swim upstream. We're to actually overcome what is attempting to overtake us. But here's some good, good news. Remember that Holy Spirit we talked about? Remember the Holy Spirit that we talked about in John 14, John 15, John 16? Here's some good news for you. The Apostle John tells us in 1 John 4, 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because He who is in you is actually greater than He who is in the world. We have everything we need to overcome the world. It's not a formula. It's not three easy steps. It's Jesus. He dwells by His Spirit on the inside of us. And if we'll learn to have this moment by moment, day by day, conversation with His Holy Spirit, when the world starts screaming a message in our ear, when the world, when the world starts making you feel like you're, you're not valuable, you're not good enough, you don't measure up, your bank account's not big enough, your house isn't big enough, your car's not new enough, your boat's not shiny enough, you're not a great parent. When the world starts making you feel like you're not enough, you, you'll start to recognize that's, that's not the voice of your father. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, will call you back to this truth that I am loved, I am chosen, I'm forgiven, I'm redeemed, I'm a child of God, and greater is he who lives in me than he who is in this world. I don't want to give you three easy steps today because they ain't easy. What I want to say for all of us as the church is, let's value this precious presence of the Holy Spirit and learn to have that day day by day, moment by moment, conversation, relationship with Him. And He will be the one who overcomes the world.